you know, even even Bogus Journey, it's it's like, oh well, this is how they became a famous band. But even that, what I love is is they go on this entire quest and you know go to heaven and go to hell and all that. And then in the end, they're like, oh shit, I guess we should finally learn how to play instruments. Should we? <laughs> That's right. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. Because when you live in the midst of a garbage fire, you need to find what little joy you can and hold on to it. And cling to it with dear life. <laughs> Never let it go. I'm Sean. I'm Alex. And today we're here to talk about joyful media consumption in the Nightmare Kingdom. And I will respond to that with the appropriate phrase, Pajama Pajama! That is a reference I do not understand. <laughs> oh my god, Alex. There's a film from 1989 that is called Little Nemo. And it is... One of the greatest animated films ever made. I mean, it seems even stranger that I haven't seen it because I was nine years old in 1989, so one would think I'd be the target demographic, and yet, I have not. Let's put it this way. Little Nemo involves a little boy. It's a Japanese animated, but Disney-produced, I believe, film. Uh, it involves a little boy who go is whisked off by a magic flying bed with his flying squirrel Icarus to a land called Slumberland, which has been beset upon by an evil entity called the Nightmare King who wants to bring nightmare to all of the world. And so Little Nemo, with his friends, which includes a weird, almost, I uh, I don't know how you describe them. They're like, if you took a sloth and a raccoon and merged them together, but also they could be multiple different bodies at the same time and also sing in harmony, them. And also a guy named Flip, who is a charlatan frogman who smokes cigars. And they basically go on a big magic adventure to stop the Nightmare King. Okay, I mean, at this point, you're just obviously making things up. No, I'm one, that's 100% true. I'm not kidding. That's the story. Okay. I'm not, no, nothing I said was wrong. That is 100% the story. Look it up. <laughs> well... I am drinking a Chudo Stout, I just wanted to tell everyone, because it is fucking delicious. And I know we normally only drink for torture cinema, but it's been a day. And it was made by Cerveceria Colorado, in cooperation with Denver Beer Company. It says on the can, Bridges Not Walls. Nice. Yep. Nice. So, okay, so on the subject, uh, I, I don't have a I don't have beer to drink, uh, but on the subject of today, Alex suggested, and I know that some listeners I wanted to hear this too, that we talk about some of the things that we've been enjoying in terms of media, uh, you know, during this pretty difficult time. Because for a lot of us, all we had to do for a while was, you know, watch TV or read books. Um, and so what were we consuming? And so I, I don't know exactly how we're going to approach this because this is such a wide reaching thing. So I figured we'd just kind of start by maybe seeing if we can find common patterns in our in our reading behavior or book behavior or you know media generally behavior uh and so i thought i'd read off a list of things alex and see if you can find a pattern for the kinds of things i'm finding joy in okay 
Things I have been enjoying. Criminal Minds. Mind Hunter. Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Dexter. Hannibal. I'm, I'm getting and... like a sort of serial killer vibe. <laughs> oh, don't, oh, wait for it. Wait for it. And I'm currently reading and really enjoying a book called The Killers Among Us by Stephen A. Egger. Definitely a serial killer thing, though I will note that that Criminal Minds is actually my housemate Karina's favorite comfort watch show, because even though it's like kind of monster of the week in the sense of like the serial killer and or murderer of the week, what it's really about is a team of like people who love and respect each other very much taking down bad people. And that is very comforting. Yes, absolutely. I adore it. Well, and plus like all... I mean, they you can actually watch them go through this thing where, you know, especially when they have people leave or join the team, they always keep the gender parity of the team balanced, which is fucking amazing for a network TV show. Actually pretty impressive. They do the the show unfortunately has some some issue with uh female cast members, you know, getting rid of them. But you're right, it does try to do that. I also think that, you know, one of the things that's my favorite is the Penelope-Morgan relationship. Oh my god, yes. And while I I respect the show for not making, at least up to season 10, they have not done this. I've not seen all of the show. They've not made it into a romantic relationship. And I can respect that because it's nice to have, you know, friends of opposite genders who just really respect and love each other. But also, like, I just spend the entire show going, like, just get together. You would you would be like the the cutest fucking couple, just do right. It. I, but I mean, I feel like that's what makes their friendship so beautiful is because they would make an amazing couple. But they're like, no, we don't need this because we we love and respect each other as friends. And you know, it's Penelope just being gorgeous and adorable and Derek Morgan's eyebrows. Gosh, he has great eyebrows. I mean, I'm actually really disappointed in in where he went after he left the show because you can tell it's not that I a lot of the the people it's not that that they get rid of them it's that they leave to go do something else and like the actor who who plays Derek Morgan went off to do like some fucking like SWAT SWAT team show but it's not like it's not like a good SWAT team show like the Canadian one that I um <laughs> that I'm always like on about it's just like you know running around and shooting things and I'm just like oh. Not even your eyebrows can keep me interested in the show. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm watching mostly stuff that it is originally streaming on one of the either the major streaming networks or at, at the very least is a show that would fit on like one of the premium like cable network channels. But because like for me, mostly that's the kind of stuff that I end up liking because they they tend to be a little bit more challenging with the kind of work that they do. But like networks, like once in a while, they get like a criminal minds where it's like it just really settles in. And then a lot of times they do stuff where you're just like, "Eh, really? okay, fine. Yeah. Where you're like, this is very iffy, but I'm going to stick with you because I really like these actors. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I I don't. But. (laughs) Oh, God, I I love like the ensemble cast for for Criminal Minds is like one of the most like solid ensembles I've ever watched. You know, and this is me noting that, no, I have not watched Leverage. Please stop telling me to watch Leverage. <laughs> I don't have the time because I'm just rewatching Great British Bake Off constantly. <laughs> That's why I don't have the time for something new. Yeah. An interesting thing that I've noticed in my pattern, you know, most of these shows are shows that have either been concluded for quite a while or, you know, I think Criminal Minds just concluded. Like, I think this season was the last season or whatever. 
I think so. I'm, I'm always like a season or two behind because I only watch it when it comes to Netflix. Yeah, that's basically my watch pattern as well. And I do find myself doing a lot of going back and doing, I guess what I'd call comfort watches. Yes. Uh, I've not, I've been watching some new stuff, but it's been mostly like horror films I've not seen before. But I've been doing lots of like, just going back to, you know, stuff that's comfortable. Like I just started again watching Supernatural from the start. It just solely on the basis that, like, Supernatural is not a perfect show by any measure. It's it's often very silly and very self-aware of its silliness. But I just I just like the brother dynamic, and I just get a lot out of watching their their relationship develop over time. I I would say it's it's not even like, I mean, the the, the self awareness and ham of Supernatural is a feature, not a bug. I agree. Yeah, feature, not a bug. I got off the Supernatural train when we lost Bobby because he he was. I was mad about that, but you know, up till that, I can name like a bunch of episodes of that show I like, and at some point I might rewatch it. Though apparently, if I'm going to rewatch anything, it's going to be GBBO. So whatever. <laughs> I mean, like basically, my my watching lately has been like I, I've I've restarted my DS9 rewatch, which like every few episodes I'm like, holy shit, this is like really appropriate to this fucking year. Yeah. Yeah, I started rewatching Voyager, but mostly because I I just love Chakotay and uh, Captain Janeway together. What my what my ultimate goal is, and admittedly this is a long way off because I only just finished the second season of DS Nine, is I I, I want to like roll over into Voyager. Though I have heard that Voyager like the first season and a half, like the first the first half of season one is good, and then I've heard like the next half season and like season two are basically a garbage fire. And then it starts getting good again. It it struggles, I think, to figure out how... Because its central problem is Voyager Season 1 sets up, basically, it's just Star Trek with Klingons, but in a different area with people that aren't Klingons. And so that becomes a problem because, like, how do you make them more unique when they're just, like, weird-looking Klingons? Mm. You can't see what my face, like the expression my face is making, but it's not a good expression. Anyway, I'll find out eventually. I mean, like I am like the one new thing that I'm watching other than like the new episodes of Great British Bake Off that are coming out is, is Discovery. And I am like totally fucking jazzed about Discovery because I I thought season one was really good other than it's like, you know, you kind of had to stick with it for the payoff. And then once you got to the payoff, it was like, holy shit. And watching that first season a second time when I showed it to my mom was a very different experience because I kind of knew where everything was going. But then the second season was like so solid and so good. And now in this third season, I've only seen the first episode of the third season and I am already fucking jazzed because, you know, they no longer have to like limit themselves in a way where they can, you know, try to fit in with existing Star Trek canon because they are now just like off in their own place and they can do whatever the hell they want. So I want to see where they're going to go with this. Yeah, Jen and I have been watching uh, Discovery, but we've been doing like where we we bike and watch an episode. And uh, well, we haven't done that in a little bit because it's, uh, you know, stress. It's 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. There might be like an election coming up here in the United States. And, you know, the Earth might just swallow the United States into its core. We never know. If we're lucky. If we're lucky, that might be the best way that it happens. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. Like, for me, I I wasn't as sold on season one. Like, I thought it was fun and it was okay. But, like, season two for me was, like, 
holy shit, this is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I think that a lot of pe- people have different reactions to season one. Some people probably love it a lot. Some will think it's fine. You know, people probably won't like it. And if you don't like season one, you're not going to like season two anyway. But if you're in any of the other groups, season two is going to feel like they, they like really stepped it up. Yeah, I feel like when I was watching with my mom, I think if I hadn't been watching it with her, it might have lost her just because she kept being like, why is, um, oh, what's his bucket? Um, why is he like this? He's not a good captain. And I was just like, oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it'll all make sense and then she was just like holy shit <laughs> which was fun to watch somebody going through that where like one big reveal happens and i'm like oh it's not done just keep watching <laughs> it gets worse yeah i i agree that the reveal at the end of of season one is really compelling when you don't know it's coming then it's hard like it feels like a slog right. i had a hard time getting through season one the first the first time through and then the second time i was like gleefully rubbing my hands together because i'm like oh i know it's coming <laughs> well what's interesting is if you're not the kind of person who like watches tv and like tries to find all the little clues and tries to put everything together if you're just kind of a like i guess the difference would be like between like a pantser and you know like if somebody who like organ like puts everything in an outline right it would be like the difference between that right you're just kind of on the seat of your pants you're just seeing where it goes if you're that kind of person there are details that are in that season that tell you what the reveal is at the end but you don't sort of notice them until you go back through it and you go oh that was a clue and then that was a clue and that was a clue and suddenly you'll see them but the first time you watch it it is pretty brilliant in how it, it shocks you if you don't see the clues coming, mm-hmm. uh, because they are reasonably hidden. They're 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 justified as hidden. Like they they put them out in front of us to see, but they give us good justifications in the story for why we shouldn't put any stock in them and think anything of it. Yeah, like to me as a writer, like looking at how it was put together as a writer, I was like, oh, I want to be able to do something like this at some point. But damn, like I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that good at this. Yeah, it it is an interesting thing, like reading or watching things by people who clearly are are pretty good at what they're doing, and then being like, "Oh, I want to do something clever." That you're like, "I feel dumb. <laughs> like my brain doesn't work this way. How do I do this?" Uh, I mean, this has been an experience because I this year I've I've gotten into horror in a way that I hadn't before. Like I enjoyed horror, but I I started realizing I kind of like writing horror. And so now I'm like with this weird project trying to figure out like how do, how do I actually do like slow burn thinky horror and reading lots of stuff and going like I don't know if I can do this because it's it's not easy. No, it it's really not. I mean, my my best friend writes horror and she gives it to me to read even though I'm a weenie and mostly because she wants me to be sending her text ma- messages like how could you do this to me? I thought we were friends because I mean she did a good job, but I do not know, like, how people do horror. Like, horror brain is hard. Like, I mean, obviously, if I knew how to write horror, I'd be writing horror, and I'm not, so. <laughs> well, well. so, uh, aside from Discovery, what other kinds of media are you enjoying? I mean, mostly, so, like, you know, I, I've mentioned several times Great British Bake Off, because mostly for me, like, a lot of TV is just putting something on while I'm like winding down for the night for an hour or two and just playing like dumb mobile games. Mostly it's been like either Great British Bake Off or Mythbusters because they've got a bunch of seasons of Mythbusters on Hulu and it's just like kind of there and not having to pay attention to it. So I haven't really been watching anything new other than than Discovery and the current season of Bake Off. Bill and Ted Face the Music. I think that is 
the the last like big new movie I watched. I've got Alamo on demand, so I've been watching like some documentaries and stuff they have. Like they've just got this really random selection. Hmm. But it has just not been a great year for movies. No. Uh it's been a rough year. I mean, other than Bill and Ted. Like Bill and Ted is is fantastic and it was the movie I needed it to be this year because it's it's sweet and it's earnest and it believes that that people can make things better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be valuable. <laughs> Cuz this year just feels yeah. like I, I I've been saying this a lot. I I hate being I, like, I'm pretty cynical, and so, you know, I, I don't really trust, a, like, a lot of people, and I, and I kind of think that, you know, people tend to make things worse, but, like, I keep saying every once in a while of, like, I don't like being right about this. You're all supposed to make me wrong. Stop making me right. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, before Bill and Ted Face the Music came out, I rewatched Excellent Adventure and the complete acid trip that is Bogus Journey. God, it really is. Whew. The thing about Bill and Ted is is that when you really start kind of like looking at them as characters, they're they're almost like like holy idiots, but but they're not even that dumb. They're 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 just so earnest and so genuine, which is a weird thing to say, but when you think about it, it's so true about them. Where where they are just who they always present to be, even when they're trying to like be sneaky and lie to people, they're they're just so comically bad <laughs> at it. Right, because their their whole philosophy of life is basically be excellent to one another. Yeah, which is why I I was like when I watched the the two older movies, there there are like two in each movie. There's like a really homophobic line, and it feels extremely out of place because otherwise, you know, like it, and it's such an artifact of the time they were made. Yeah. Because otherwise, they're just such like accepting, good-hearted people who kind of just want to like everyone. Because you you can tell they try to make them like slightly jockish because they're talking about like, oh, you know. There's an offhand comment like, oh, I, I gave this dude a wedgie or something. But you never even see them do anything mean. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, it more seems like they would be the guys that would get bullied because they're, yeah. they're you know, they're they they they're very ignorant of a lot of things. Uh, they kind of speak in a way that sort of makes them a little bit unusual compared to a lot of other people. But you would think that they'd be the ones that would get a little bit bullied. Yeah. And then so when you get to Bill and Ted face the music and they're all grown up. We, we, another kind of thing when you think about it is like, so you have these two guys who are just like these earnest himbos, basically. <laughs> and I know some people really hate the term, but but suck it. I love that term. And they're tasked with this this phenomenal thing about you have to write a song that unites all of humanity. Like the idea of being given a task like that, you know, it's it's in a way they're they're even too dumb to understand that they are in no way competent of doing this thing. They're just like, oh well, I guess we need to do this now. <laughs> and then like Bill and Ted face the music is kind of the the culmination of that, where where they've almost been destroyed by this awesome responsibility of how they have to write a song that's going to unite the world with music and they can't figure it out. And they're still trying, like, with with their all their hearts. Like, they're like, no, we have to do this because the future depends on it. And then in in the movie, they get told, oh, not only do you have to write a song to unite the world, 
you have to save the world. Like the world will be destroyed if you don't write this amazing song. And then they have like this personal issue where because they've been so consumed by this, this awesome responsibility that they should never have been given that their, their home life is kind of falling apart. And, and that's the setup for that. And, and it's, and it's basically them trying to figure their shit out. And then their awesome daughters being like, Hey, we'll help you with this, like, you know, saving the world part. And it's just, it's so good hearted and it's so like, (laughs) and so it was just such a good, like, it made me cry. Like I fucking cried at a Bill and Ted movie because it was just so like wholesome and good and, and optimistic. (laughs) You're making me, so this is interesting because you're, you're talking about this sort of thematic where like the pressure being placed on, you know, in this case, two people, but a very small number of people to do this monumental task that really no one one or two or even three people should need to do reminded me a lot of a film that uh jen and i had talked about for the podcast called see you yesterday which is in a different Mm. context because it's dealing with racism uh police brutality specifically but the basic premise and i'm not going to ruin anything but the basic premise of the the story is like these two teenage uh, black teenagers discover the ability to time travel but they can only time travel to the previous you know only a little bit back in time and they try to fix time because a horrible event happens. And so they're trying to fix it. But every time they do it, you know, some other thing happens. You know, the same thing that happens in Back to the Future, right? Any change you make, it could have, you know, massive repercussions. Mm. And so I, one of the thematics that you're making me think of is this idea of, like, you know, here are these teenagers by themselves trying to solve this problem that is too big for any one or two people to really solve. And in that film, I think that the ending, to me, feels less hopeful than what you're suggesting about Bill and Ted, which seems to be much more optimistic. But either way, there's that that idea of, like, you know, what we need is actually collective action. Everybody trying to work together, but we, we're sort of, like, asking such a small number of people to burden, you know, to take on as a burden this immense, massive responsibility to fix problems caused by all of us. Mm-hmm. In that case, it seems like the, the film tries to deal with it a little bit more explicitly by showing us that they, they really are struggling with the responsibility, even though it's obviously it's Bill and Ted. So it's going to have funny jokes and they're going to say like, whoa, and like, you know, and play the yeah. guitar, all that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the conclusion is not about like, oh, Bill and Ted were always the answer or something. Okay. Which, you know, it, it is seeing more awareness of, of one person cannot fix all of society. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about like the previous two Bill and Ted movies, it's never about them fixing all of society. It's about like them passing their history thing and, right. you know, having fun and learning stuff. And, and, you know, even, even bogus journey, it's, it's like, oh, well, this is how they became a famous band. But even that, what I love is, is they go on this entire quest and, you know, go to heaven and go to hell and all that. And then in the end, they're like, oh, shit, I guess we should finally learn how to play instruments, should we? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, the first two films are very, I mean, it seems like it's an obvious progression, right? Because the first film is like, they just need to pass that test because otherwise um, it's Ted, right? That is going to get sent to military school. Yes. And then the second one, they up the stakes a little bit. And it's now like, wait, you, you become this epic rock 
banned. And so that that's the thing you have to do. And then, you know, the next logical step, I would argue, is now you have to write the song that'll save the entire world. So yeah, yeah. You know, now you sense. now you finally have to do the thing they've been telling you you have to do for the first two movies. Right. <laughs> So why don't you talk about your movies? Because like I said, I haven't watched that many other than some like random ass documentaries that are definitely not joyful. Well, like I said, I've been mostly watching horror this year and and trying a lot of different, a lot of different stuff. Just kind of see what like what's the kind of horror that I like, because I've got idea like I've seen like The Shining, which I really enjoy um, and films like As Above, So Below, which I, I fucking love that movie. It's really good. So I've been just like watching a splattering of different kinds of horror movies and finding out what I like. And I can say I've found a few that I just think are shockingly really, really good. So like a film that, you know, I've gone back in time and rewatched Tremors at least six times this year because uh, I still consider Tremors to be one of the best films ever made because it's just delightful. Uh, and I don't care what you think. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I mean, it's it's not my thing, but, you know, you do you. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the big one that I think I was just really surprised by was Blood Quantum, which is a uh, indigenous uh, zombie I've film. I've been hearing about that one, and I've been meaning to watch it. I would say that Blood Quantum's not perfect, but it does some really interesting stuff with its premise and really takes to heart its idea. It's a film where I feel like what I would love to see is the the director be given like a mini series contract and be like make 10 episodes now and here's like oh so so like maybe it even just had like too many ideas for its runtime i feel like there's there's just room to explore what we get i think the story that's presented to us works well enough but there's just more to be told and it does do a little bit of time skipping at one point just to get us past i i think possibly for budgetary constraints because trying to like film you know the collapse of society after a zombie apocalypse is not cheap mm. um so i think they do some of that to kind of time jump a little bit i don't think me personally i don't think it detracts from the story because the story is not really about the world it's about this reservation so it makes sense to kind of skip all of the the rest of the world went the shit but the reservations are like the safe zones now because that's the basic premise is the zombie apocalypse comes but indigenous people are immune to the virus so they can't get it nice and it's one of those things where like the the idea is so good and i just want them to throw more money at him because i want to see them really dig into this idea of like what happens when like the you know the white person that thinks they have cherokee ancestry or whatever finds out definitively that they do not (laughs) because they got the infection Right. Like there's all these different ways you can kind of explore this theme. And I would just love to see more. But the movie is fantastic. OK. So, yeah. So it's lots of horror. <laughs> lots of horror. You know, and you find stuff that you'll be surprised by, like Dead Heat from the ni- 1988, which is a horror comedy. B- it's like a B movie with um, Treat Williams and uh, an actor who probably has been in other stuff. But yeah, and it's a totally bonkers, ridiculous film in which uh, the there are two cops, but it's a buddy cop movie. And one of the cops dies, but he's resurrected uh, and is basically like on a timer for how much time he's got to live before he basically like melts into goo. And so it's them trying to uncover the mystery of what's going on to reanimate people's bodies. And it's a buddy cop film. It's silly and totally absurd, but I just had a blast watching it because it's just it's just ridiculous. Nice. Yeah, I don't. Ha- I mean, I wish I could say, oh, I've seen so many new movies, but you know, 
Well, I mean, it's, you know, when you can't when you can't leave your house and, you know, a lot of the big movies, they're being like, oh, we only want people to watch these in theaters as if there's going to be theaters by the time we're through with this. Yeah, I mean, they keep delaying films a lot, too. They're just getting them pushed back and back. And I and I wonder how much of that is that, you know, the the ticket, the digital ticket sales have not been to the level where it kind of justifies some of the bigger films. I mean, I feel like, see, I, I don't know, because I feel like that they, they haven't given it a chance to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe you look at the digital sales of Bill and Ted, but how, what were the what what would they have been without like the digital? It wasn't like th- that. You know, it wasn't like a big freaking deal like Wonder Woman or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, part of me thinks that the price tag is just too much for people to pay. Uh, and so a lot of people are just like, they're not going to pay $20 for a, a digital entity. And that may be a part of it. And part of it, like, I, I just don't feel like they're also advertising these things very effectively. No. So, like, normally you would, you see tons and tons of, like, you know, video commercials and all of these kinds of things. And it would say, like, go to your theater. But you can't do that now. So you would think, like, all of them would be, like, you know, go to this website and you can watch it from the comfort of your home. Isn't it awesome? And I'm not seeing those kinds of advertisements that are trying to make it seem like this is actually totally worth it, guys. Do it. It's just sort of like pay 20 bucks to watch the movie. And it's like, but I have Netflix. So why? Why? Yeah, I feel like there, there's also just they're still desperately hoping that life is somehow going to get back to normal anytime soon. And just whatever. We're, we're going to talk about things that make us happy instead of how fucking annoyed we are with, you know, the way the, the studios are running their business right now. Yeah. Well, what about books? Because we, we've not really mentioned books, but what kinds of things are you reading that you're you're getting a lot of joy out of? Okay, so books are actually where I have a lot of, of things I want to, like, screech about how much I love them and how much joy they gave me, because this is not necessarily going to be, like, my biggest year of reading, because that was apparently, like, 2017 when I was um doing a lot of construction stuff, and I was just reading, like, romance novels and just mainlining them on the construction sites but like i have read a lot of really fucking good books this year and most of them came out this year even go on okay so i can just start naming some some books that that i'm just like oh my god these books are so good now the one i will say that was like actual sheer joy in book form stealing thunder by uh alina boyden it's a book, so it's basically about kind of Indian historical fantasy, but they have things that are kind of like dragons that they ride around on, and there's like some other sort of magical stuff. And like, the main character is a trans woman. I mean, there there are certain things where like, when I was reading the book, I was like, if this, w- if this book was about a cis woman, I'd be like, oh god, like, you know, she needs to like lose occasionally, blah blah blah. But you know, fuck that, because this is a book about a trans woman. And trans women deserve to have some books where they just get to be the fucking winner and they get to win and win and win. And then at the end, they have like everything they could have ever wanted because enough of like all of the tragedy. So that book is just like so it's just such sheer joy. You get to see this character just like basically win the world. And it's amazing. And I loved it because of who the character was, basically. Nice. Yeah. Oh my God. I loved it. I I will say like the best book so far that I have read this year, like hands down is The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, Hmm. which is like science fiction. It is like multiverse science fiction where there where 
You can travel to like a parallel universe that is not too different from your own, but only if the equivalent person, you know, the person there who would be the same as you is dead. And so like the the whole concept is that the main character, for whatever reason, in like, you know, of the 150 some or whatever Earths that are out there that, that they can reach, she's dead in like 145 of them. So she can go lots of places because she's apparently just led a really terrible and unlucky life in most places. Like, I, I am not, like, normally a person who's just like, oh, what a twist. <laughs> like, everything yeah. has to have a twist. But, oh my god, like, there were so many fucking twists in this book. And, like, every other chapter, and every time I got to one, I, I was actually just, like, reading this book, and I would just go, oh shit, oh shit. And then I'd keep reading. It's so good. It's just so good. And it's, like... So much, like, crunchy, wonderful character development and world building and, like, you know, a bit of Eat the Rich in there. And, like, it's just, it's it's such a good book. And I want everybody to to read it. And then I want them to nominate it for a Hugo next year. Oh. Just so you know where okay. I'm coming from. All right. Well, we're on yeah. the same page because the, the book that I want, want to suggest is also one that is, is 100% on my Hugo ballot for next year. <laughs> oh, do, do you want to jump in with one? Because I've got, like, several more books I want to scream about. <laughs> Oh, sure. Well, I'll jump in with uh, a book that we, we interviewed the author for the show, and I'm just not going to shut up about Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. It's a novella. It is on my reading list. I want to read it. It's, 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 on my, it's on my nook. I will tell you, I mean, I don't know if, I think you'll like it a lot, Alex, because just what I know of your own writing, it, it would seem to be something that would, I think you'll like it is what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you'll like it. Uh, but it is hands down what if like i i devoured this thing and this is not an experience i have very often with reading i i tend, i've had a real hard time getting like the reading bug back after grad school cuz it grad school yeah. just sucks the life out of you you know what i'm talking it about it took me a while and i didn't even have to read as much as you did cuz i was going through science yeah exactly yeah so but when i like ring shot was one where i started reading and i went oh i fucking love this and then I just kept going and it just kept getting better and better and better. And the way that it deals with all, I mean, I'll just say that birth of a nation is in this and it has a totally different take on birth of the nation and racism uh, because it's sort of supernatural urban fantasy, I suppose you could say. And it's fucking amazing. And I love it. And I just want someone to know, because I know TV producers 100% listen to this show for recommendations for adaptations. Oh, totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Option this immediately and make it into like a mini series, please. I I will I will pay I will pay extra to watch that. Nice. So, yeah, it's so good. So like, okay, if you want to talk about books that you like could not fucking put down. So I've got two that I wanted that I want to yell about that were like such an intense experience. I like okay. So the first one, The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson, which is definitely not like a happy book. It is it is like as close as I've gotten like to reading straight on horror in a long time. Yeah. Okay. I fucking read it in two days. And the only reason I was able to read it in two days, instead of like just, ha just being like, fuck it. I guess I'm not going to sleep tonight. And I'm just going to read all the way through is because there is like in a approximately the middle of the book, there is a chapter where it's not like nothing happens, but it's kind of the chapter where the character gets to be like, I think I might've, slightly solve the problem for now and i'm taking a minute to process and then shit will start up again next chapter because of that like merciful slight break i was able to like split it over two nights because i got to that chapter and i was like okay i can stop shit is not immediately happening right now <laughs> and then 
you know, like next chapter, it became relentless again. And I finished it the next day. And it's so good. And it's so like, it's just, this book is just ferocious. It's just, it's so, it's so angry in a really constructive way. And it's particularly so angry about um, the way societies are built on the bodies of women. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's really good. And, and I mean, and there's like a lot, you know, there's also like some, you know, kind of discussion of racism in there. But it's, it is very much like, oh my God, like the feminist reading of this book is just like, holy shit, it's really good. I super recommend it. It's about witches. <laughs> I like how you say that at the end. It's about witches. <laughs> yeah, it's about witches. Just casual. You know, the, the year of the witching. <laughs> And then the other book that I read literally in one day, because I could not put it down, and plus because it was just so much fun, is The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk, which is also just, I mean, everything she writes, I love. She's just so good, and and her, her prose is just so readable, and just, like, sinking into a warm bath, even when, like, terrible shit is happening. But this one is, um, it feels a bit almost kind of like quasi regency but like with some really like even more fucked up shit in the society towards women <laughs> and it's like you know we're going to break that out and and talk about like how how not right this is that women are expected to sacrifice everything for the comfort of men it's it's so good and plus it has a really adorable romance Aww. and an ace character nice it sounds like you've really gotten a lot of reading on this year <laughs> okay and i okay fine well i'm still going fine okay i have so many books i've read that have been so good and i need other people to read them okay so my token hetero white guy on on my list of amazing books i've read savage legion by matt wallace oh, okay honestly generally don't like epic fantasy much because epic fantasy is so often up its own butt about its world building yeah and this book is not it's very much about the characters but it's all it's also about the price of empire and it's um because there, there's also like so much that you see like in in a lot of tropes that that sort of lionizes men who make difficult decisions for the benefit of society or whatever. And it is basically like punching them repeatedly in the dick. And that is amazing. And I love it. And I can't wait to read the next books of that. So that's really good. Also cemetery boys by Aiden Thomas. It's an own voices about a, a trans man brujo who like accidentally summons a ghost and then they sort of have like a Ooh. really kind of cute love story. But while he's also trying to figure out like how this guy got murdered and also like what killed his, his cousin, like it's really super cute. And I loved it. Nice. Uh, Elatsoe by, by Darcy little badger. I just, I just, just finished it. It's also really good. I mean, it and Cemetery Boys both have the YA thing where I, I like some of the twists I really saw coming because, you know, it's YA, whatever. Yeah. But like, Elato actually kept me guessing. And it has like this this really distinctive, very different point of view because it's written by a Native American person who's a, a, a Lipan Apache about a, a, a girl who is, who is also ace. You know, it's about like an America that's almost recognizable as ours, except, you know, kind of magic and legends and all those are real. And there are vampires and everybody knows about them. And, hmm. and Alatsoe, who is, who is just called Ellie in the book for the most part, 
she has like this this knowledge that's been passed down to her through her her family so she knows how to summon ghosts of animals because you never summon the ghost of a person because that's super bad but like so she has a ghost dog who's her best friend oh oh god it's so cute and it's so good and then it's like so fucked up in certain places but it's it's really good and i really loved it and then like okay the okay this is the last one i'm gonna <laughs> shriek about for now i promise but i'm just like i've read i have read so many good books this year because everybody just keeps insisting on writing really good books sure i finally read realm of ash which actually did not come out this year because i believe i want to say did it come out in 2018 or 2019 so it's it's tasha suri's second book because her first one is empire of sand which is also fucking amazing. And this is like her second entry into her series of disaster heteros. And it's just like, it's just wonderful. It's good reading. She, she knows how to build a world and, you know, destroy an empire basically. So yeah, lots of good stuff. It looks like it was 2019. Okay. 2019. Oh, okay. That book. Oh, okay. I, I've, I haven't read it, but uh, I'm familiar with it because I remember some of the the plugs for Empire of Sand. Empire, okay. I mean, I love Realm of Ash. I will admit that I love Empire of Sand even more. You have to fucking read Empire of Sand. It is, oh, it's so good. It's, mmm, disaster heteros. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you know, the the entire thing is like, it's built on like this, the background is this fucking horrifying evil empire. But then you have these two characters where you just are like, just fucking kiss. Just, I'm going <laughs> to squish your faces together. <laughs> Just do it. (laughs) Yes. So good. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading, I guess. You have been. I I think by comparison, I've I've been watching a lot more film and you've been watching way more or reading way more books. You know, you were making me think that immediately that I'd forgotten a movie and I will mention as the very last thing we'll probably say, which is a film called Atlantics, which is uh, set in... um, Oh God, what city? It's 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 in Africa, but I can't remember what city it is. And it's it's basically the 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 premise of the film is that uh you know it's dealing with a, a pretty poor part of the city. Uh, but the the woman that's in it is basically been betrothed to a rich man, but she's in love with a working class man who is getting stiffed on his job. He's getting you know, all this stuff, and so he goes on a fishing trip. But in the middle of the night, and they disappear. But then later in the story all the men who disappeared come back as ghosts and it deals with the sort of ramifications. And it's one of the best things about the film is the opening moment is literally all of the workers at this huge construction project, massive, right? Big skyscraper construction project. So not a cheap project saying, where's our money because they're not being paid and not being paid. There's this huge argument and it sort of very clearly sets up the class differences. And that's what a lot Mm. of the film is dealing with. Uh, while this sort of uh, supernatural or kind of ghost story is going on as well. It's, I'm not going to ruin what the movie's ultimately about, but it is really well done. It's a really fantastic film. Cool. You should also consider, if you've not read Mexican Gothic yet, you should totally see if that can get your writing mojo, or your reading mojo back. Uh, Yeah, I I read it basically before I had to do all the Hugo reading, and I was reading that, and oh my god, it's good. It's so good. It's very good. Yeah, that... I mean, I, I love that it has just, like, all of the Gothic stereotypes, including, like, the sad sack character that would totally be played by Tom Hiddleston in the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great. 
I love uh, Silvia Moreno Garcia because pretty much everything that she's written, I've I've loved. Like I I don't think there's anything of hers that I've read where I was like, oh, this isn't very good. Everything is like, oh, this is really interesting. This is so much going on. And so I, she's just one of those authors where it's like, it's ridiculous that it's taken this long for her work to like hit that line where it starts getting like right? NYT shit, you know? And you're like, really? This is, this is how, this time, this time, this, not the other like four times. No, this one is the one that finally did it. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's, it's so, yeah. I mean, totally. I still need to read Gods of Jade and Shadow, which I know Karina really loves. I mean, like, Mexican Gothic, when, when I finally, like, sat down, I was not even necessarily in the mood for, like, like a Gothic house story, and I still fucking read it in two days. Because <laughs> that was another one I just could not put down, because I was like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, God, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> but in a good way. I, I, audience, in a good way. You should totally read this book. Well, and I feel like, especially with Mexican Gothic... You know, part of what makes it because you can tell first off that she fucking loves the gothic genre yeah. because she just, you know, nails it. And then she also like can trouble it in a really interesting way because, I mean, first off, there's the perspective like, you know, um, like the racism and the eugenics and, and like all that shit in there because like that's ooh, that's a thing. Yep. But I, I feel like the other thing that she really hits like straight on that is so interesting that you really don't get in, like, gothic classics, you know, where it's shit like Jane Eyre or whatever, is, you know, all of them have, like, the moldering giant house of the the family that used to be wealthy but is now down on its luck. You know, and I'm not saying that I've read every gothic book out there, so, you know, I, you know people might be yelling at me at this point, but, like, that that she really sits down and is like, okay, you know... English colonial people, how did you make your money that you're now down on your luck about? Where did your fortune come from and who paid for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so... I, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, well, because it is like a lot of, of like the gothic, you know, the heart, like so, so much like in classic gothic literature, part of the horror feels like the fact that, oh, look at this great family that has been brought low. Yeah. And now they're trying to recover their fortune in, like, this really kind of shady fucking way that involves, like, a lady in a really giant nightgown. But, like, it never steps back and is, like, the foundation of this family's entire fortune was rotten already and they deserve to be rotten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking love the Mexican gothic. It's a really good book. Folks should definitely read it. Honestly, just read anything Sylvia Moreno-Garcia and if if... Like, gothic literature is not your thing. She's written other stuff that may be more your speed, but also still read Mexican gothic, so. Yeah, I, I know I know. Karina would want me to plug Gods of Jade and Shadow. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it sounds really cool. You would like it. I think you'd definitely like it. Excellent. Yeah, it, it, all, it does a lot of the similar kinds of things that she does in a lot of her work. Uh, just obviously from a different a different sort of story style or... or uh, different yeah tropes. it doesn't it, it's not like i'm fitting this to gothic tropes it's doing like something totally different. exactly yeah it's one of those things that i really appreciate it's sort of like why i like him stanley robinson is because he he's like all right i'm gonna do my like we're going back in time and i'll do like my like cave bears uh the clan of the cave bear version where he did like shaman and he was like yeah we're gonna go back and do that but then also i'm gonna go to the future and write my like totally weird book where like half of it's written in code and also i'm gonna write post-apocalyptic and like she's just kind of doing that where it's like I'm not beholden to any particular kind of story. I'm just doing my way of doing all these different ways of writing. 
Yes. It's really cool to see more people doing that and more people need to get love for it. It's really what it comes down Definitely. to. Definitely. Yeah. That's a good note to end on because that is joyful. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, she's awesome. Absolutely. And I will just mention one thing about Atlantics because I completely forgot to mention because uh, I thought it was Morocco. It's actually Senegal. And I should have known oh, okay. better because the dialogue, most of the dialogue is in Wolof, which is from the, the main ethnic uh, group there. Yeah. Well, perfect. So we've, we've hit it. We've got through all our joy. We hit about an hour of recording. And so that means, Alex, it's time to say where folks can find you and let folks know if there's anything you want to plug. All right. Um, so you can find me if you do the hell site that is Twitter. You can find me at Katsu Donbury. Um, you can also find me at alexax.com or katsudon.net, and that'll give you access to basically everything I've ever written and show you where you can find my books, because you should totally buy my books, because I have student loan payments. Yep. And um, I also write the, the science fiction newsletter for Book Riot. So if you want me yelling at you twice a week about new releases and then a collection of random shit that I come up with for Friday, go to Book Riot and sign up for that newsletter. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. And you can find me at Sean Duke on the Twitters or SeanDuke.net if you want my personal site. Otherwise, you can go to all the Skiffy and Fanty things if you're new. SkiffyandFanty.com to subscribe and find all of our stuffs. Uh, we also have a newsletter, SkiffyandFanty.com slash newsletter run by Stephen Geik and Miller, where you can also find other nerdy things, often nerdy things involving us, uh, our things. Uh, and we are on all of the iTunes and all of those places and uh, Twitter at SkiffyandFanty and Patreon. That's that's the last one, yes. the big one. Yeah, if you want to support the show, any amount is fine. A dollar, three billion dollars, uh, you know, any amount you like. If you're a billionaire, please support the show. We hate you, but we still want your money. Um, we'll eat you last. Yeah, th that's fair. Yeah, of all of the billionaires, you'll be the last one that we turn into a cake. Yes. So, uh, but patreon.com slash Fanty. Any amount uh, helps, but uh, a dollar at least gets you all the free stuff and also lets you vote on torture cinema polls. So that's always nice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so thank you very much for listening and thank you alex for joining me again for another podcast appreciate it you're welcome citizen well on that note i gotta say something awkward to actually end this show so i will just say that uh, i have found through rigorous study that eating books is really bad for your dietary tract so don't do that all right that's that's good to know um <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want, I, I, I think I, re I still remember how to say I have monkeys in my pants from in German. Okay, go for it. <laughs> what an interesting. You have Afe in Meinerhosen. <laughs> okay, what an interesting way to transition out of me eating books. <laughs> Wonderful, Alex. All right, and on that note, awkward ending and scene. <laughs> If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanty.com, and on Twitter, at skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.